Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click ratings and reviews. You can also follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugary sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Mark Sisson. Mark is is a fitness author and blogger, a former distance runner, triathlete, and Ironman competitor. In 1980, Mark qualified for the Olympic Trials Marathon, and in 1982, he finished fourth in the Ironman World Championship. He's written several books, including The Primal Blueprint, The Primal Connection, which in both of these books incorporate aspects of the Paleolithic diet and life and lifestyle. Mark, thanks so much for being part of the show. My pleasure, Aaron. Well, my, Mark, it's really exciting to talk to you today because you've really taken endurance exercise to a very high level and you know what it's like to be at the top and then to turn things around and, and, uh, and change your health around and do things the right way. Can you give the listeners a little bit of background of what it was like before you started going with uh, living this primal lifestyle? Sure. I mean, you say I've, I've been to the top. I think I've been to the edge is, is <laughs> how I like to uh, phrase it. But um, yeah, I was a, you know, I grew up uh, in Maine, uh, was not exposed to team sports very much much kind of gravitated to running just as a means of getting to and from school uh, and uh, within a very short period of time discovered I had an aptitude for covering distance in in a fairly short order so I went out for the track team and ran the mile and the two mile and did fairly well in that and went off to college and and uh, continued to run distances uh, and expanded those in the summer to running road races 5ks 10ks and eventually marathons and it turned out that the longer the distance was the better I was at it comparatively. So I didn't have a lot of fast twitch fiber. I was pretty much a slow twitch fiber guy all the way. Or at least that was my assumption. And that's something I may want to get back to later on. Mm -hmm. So with my training, I really just uh, fully developed my whole aerobic system uh, at the expense of any anaerobic output and power. Uh, and in order to fuel my exploits in those days, uh, even in, and actually today for most people as well, the prevailing wisdom was that you had to um, take in a lot of carbohydrate in order to um, in order to be able to run the prodigious amount of miles that I was putting in. And I was putting in about 100 miles a week toward the end of my career. Uh, while I was running fast and performing reasonably well, um, I was kind of falling apart on the inside. I had all kinds of maladies and afflictions from um, osteoarthritis in my feet, um, real painful kind of tendonitis and my hip flexors that would not resolve, uh, irritable bowel syndrome that really dictated um, how far I was away from a toilet or a, a, a port-a-potty. See, I can't even say it. <laughs> I've, become, I've become so uh, averse to that. Um, and, uh, you know, little things like I, I'd get uh, uh, heartburn, gastroesophageal reflux uh, from the meals I was eating. And so I, I, in, at the height of my career, I just sort of had to stop running. I was too injured. I was too kind of uh, beat up from all the miles I was putting in and, and uh, really took a look at my life at that point and, and kind of sat down and said, look, this, this can't be right. It can't be that painful uh, and that much sacrifice to, to become a good athlete. There's got to be a better way to become a decent athlete with less pain, less, less sacrifice and suffering, and more fun. Mm -hmm. That began my journey, which is now 30 plus years, to 
discover ways in which we can uh, manifest a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy body uh, with as little struggle and, and sacrifice as possible. And, and really, that's what became the Primal Blueprint. It was a, a way of, of opening up these uh, uh, doors to these hidden genetic switches so that we could become lean without having to burn bazillions of calories. And we could become strong without having to, uh, to, to in- go into the gym and spend two hours a day lifting weights. Uh, we could become uh, you know, aerobically fit with fewer miles. And that's really my challenge, and, and that's what I continue most of my research is in looking into areas that we can maximize the benefits and minimize the damage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you you initially, I mean, you were following just all the nutritionist advice at the time, you know, high whole grains and all that kind of thing. And at the time, was there any voices saying that there are other ways to do this, maybe with a slightly higher fat? I mean, especially for some of those long distance events, or was that the only way at the time when you started no, the, looking the, at it? The, in the late 70s, um, late 60s, all through the 70s, early 80s, the the real conventional wisdom was that that carbohydrates were the the fuel that you would consume, and that glucose was the king. That when you the understanding was that when you ran out of glucose, the ball game was over. You hit the wall. That was the end of it. And so it was all about um, replenishing carbohydrates, replenishing glycogen through the consumption of carbohydrates, and having glucose or glycogen available to the muscles throughout whatever effort you did. That prompted uh, uh, the concept of carbo loading, not just before races, but if you were training lots of miles, it required that you carbo load basically every day in mm-hmm. advance. Of, of going out the next day and, and running another 15 or 20 miles. So there was really never uh, a lot in the in the literature, and particularly the scientific literature of the time, that would suggest that fat was um, maybe an alternative source that had not been uh, fully looked at. Um, Tim Noakes wrote a book called The Lore of Running. I don't know if you've read it. It's a beautiful 700-page tome. Tim was the man. He was the guy that really – I mean, there were a lot of guys during those uh, days, Cahill and Brooks and and, and Noakes and uh, um, a whole host of exercise physiologists who were looking at – Ways in which you could increase the amount of fats that you burned, but that didn't, but that it didn't involve dietary fats. It involved some kind of training method that improved your your fat metabolism while you were racing, but always that once glycogen was depleted, the ball game was over, and and therefore your main focus as an endurance athlete was to continually get those carbs back into the body. Mm-hmm. Now we know now that that's not necessarily the case. Certainly for the average citizen athlete, there are a lot of other strategies that um, that obviate the need to continuously replenish uh, carbohydrates and and um, and you know replenish glycogen through the consumption of carbohydrates. Right. Yeah. Some of my listeners, you know, who might be new to this sort of thinking, might be wondering, you know, what's wrong with the high carb diet? I mean, for me, it seemed to always cause gastric distress, and it sounds like that happened for you too. What's what's the problem if you're if you don't have gastro distress? Is it okay to use carbs, or why would anyone want to try higher fat? Well, certainly it's okay to use carbs, and, and if you don't have any of the GI problems that you or I had, uh, there are a, a whole range of what we call safe starches that people can load up on. And, you know, to this day, 98% of all of the people who are coaching and training and talking about this continue to put forth the, the notion that it is about carbs, it's still about carbs, and it always will be and it always has been. Uh, the other alternative, however, for people who are interested in experimenting, one of the problems with this this ultra-high-carb eating strategy is that carbohydrates do tend in many people to increase the amount of insulin, and insulin is a fat storage hormone. So you get into this cycle where you go out and run a lot of miles. The body recognizes, the brain recognizes that you, that you depleted a lot of glycogen and spent a lot of calories. So the brain sort of leads you to overcompensate on a regular basis and eat more calories than you maybe even burned off that day in an 
effort to compensate for what was lost. And unless you are either genetically gifted or a world-class athlete who can manage a thousand grams of carbs a day, you get into this cyclic pattern where you become very good at burning carbs, not very good at burning fat. And then when you get into a race or get into a long uh, training uh, uh, strategy, um, you know, you you sort of have to come back to the carbs all the time because you're not good at burning fat. You haven't developed that that fat metabolism. You haven't begun to tap into the ability to use ketones as an alternative fuel. And so you are forever dependent on the carbs. And unless you can dial those carbs in precisely and only take in the exact amount of carbs that you need, the tendency is over time that you tend to put on a little bit of extra body fat. And this is what we see in a lot of triathletes, a lot of uh, marathoners who are putting the miles in and think they're doing the right thing, but they're still carrying 10, 15, 20 extra pounds of of body fat that could be improving their performance dramatically if they were to lose it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, something I've been experimenting with is, you know, how low can I go? And I went super low carb and that didn't quite work for me. But then after reading in books like yours, you know, it said that, well, you could include some safe starches and things like that. And uh, I, I've, I've started including a little more carbs and that a low carb seems to be working best for me. Um, you, you mentioned something at the beginning about how uh, you wa- you wanted to try to, as you were going through this transition, you wanted to get the most you could out of your body with, with the least amount of training or so you wouldn't be abusing your body. Yes. What, have you, what have you found as far as training goes, as far as getting the most from not maybe not doing as much? Because, I mean, we're all busy. You know, time's a scarce resource for all of us. Yeah, I, I think one of, the, one of the big questions everybody would be well served – to ask is okay. What are my goals? What do I want to do? If I want to, if I want to jump in a 5K or a 10K, you know, once every couple of months and perform uh, reasonably well. Uh, if I want to get maybe in a hop in a marathon once a year, you know, what is the least amount of work that I can get away with? And I use that term, get away with, and still perform competently. And still, you know, my my metric would always be to do better than the guys who who put in twice as many miles as I put in. Mm. Um, and with that in mind, it becomes a mix. It becomes a mix of strength. Really specific power and strength work in the gym. Uh, it becomes uh, certainly it gets down to the dietary approach in, in using your diet to lead your body into a situation where it's able to extract more energy from stored body fat or even from dietary body fat and depend less on carbohydrate at any given wattage or any given power output. In other words, if you can change the fuel mix so that it's more fat and less carbohydrate, you won't run out of that uh, those glycogen reserves as quickly. So it's time spent in the gym doing power. It's time spent doing high-end aerobic aerobic or anaerobic threshold work, which would be intervals, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's the occasional long, easy run or ride or whatever your your um, your poison is, um, and so it doesn't mean going out and, and just hammering you know eighty miles a week to become a competent marathoner. I think you could become a very good marathoner, uh, not elite class, but certainly good for your age group on twenty five to thirty five miles a week if you were really. Um, precise in how you did the, the the workouts, not just adding up garbage mileage, but specific training. And for me, the training for these events has always been like uh, this this equation. Okay, how many different inputs are required to to get the, the sort of combination of power and speed and endurance that I need to complete the effort at hand? But just going out and doing that effort, if I want to run five k's, if I want to race five k's, that doesn't mean I just go out and run a five k every day and practice that. No, I have to put all these component parts together. 
I have to go to the track and I have to run 200s sometimes with very little rest. Um, maybe I got to do a, a long over distance day of, of five or six miles. It's easy. And that's at a pace that allows me to do nothing but burn fat or not nothing, but mostly burn fat. I've got to spend time in the gym uh, doing some, some weighted squats uh, or some explosive plyo moves that will contribute to the spring in my legs when I, when I finally tow that starting line. And it really becomes this great kind of challenge of how do I put together all the component parts that will allow me to perform well, that will keep me interested in my training program, and that will uh, allow me plenty of time to recover between whatever the hard work that I do and, and the long, easy stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, it sounds like you're, you're using a training approach that's very specific, that's not having a lot of what you call chronic cardio, but more targeted workouts to get the exact benefits that you want. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by chronic cardio and why that well, chron- might, might be bad? Yeah, chronic cardio is a, is a phrase that uh, that Art Devaney and I developed about uh, seven years ago that just describes this notion that uh, somehow that anything that you do that is under the realm of endurance or aerobic or cardio uh, is somehow uh, without without question beneficial to you. In fact, uh, chronic cardio is is describes a situation where you're going out and you're running or, or riding or swimming or whatever you're doing at a heart rate that is, say, 75 to 80 percent, 85 percent of your max for long periods of time. That, that it encourages your heart to, to start to get into this metronomic uh, uh, area, this range where it's just com- it's beating like a metronome the entire workout for 45 minutes or an hour and a half. And uh, again, for years, the assumption was that's a good thing. But what we know now, and we're starting to see this, I mean, the Wall Street Journal just came out with an article a few days ago about mm-hmm. the fact that running, may, um, maybe running more than 35 miles a week is, is antithetical to health, particularly from a, from a cardiovascular perspective, that the heart has no say in the matter. The heart is, is a, it's a responding mechanism that's, it's, you know, the brain tells the feet, I want to run, and, or the legs, and the legs start moving. And once the legs start moving, the heart goes, holy crap, look what's going on in this we, there's a bigger demand for, for nutrients and oxygen, so, so the heart says, well, I guess I have to start beating more. The heart has no say in the matter. The heart doesn't say, oh, I'm tired, we got to pull over. It's the brain that's supposed to do that. It's the legs that are supposed to do that. So we get into the situation in chronic cardio where we are literally overworking the heart. It can do the work, but over time, the heart becomes enlarged in some people. The, heart, the, the, the walls become thicker. The innervation, the heartbeats start to uh, suffer as a result of this. That's why we're seeing a lot of uh, atrial fibrillation in some of the uh, athletes from my generation that have been doing this for 20 years. And it's a real potential problem when you when you don't mix it up. Um, I think, the, so the chronic cardio isn't Mark Sisson saying that, that uh, you know, marathon running is bad for you or that, uh, you know, uh, riding 100 uh, uh, century rides is, is detrimental in and of itself. It's the training and the choices of the training that somehow can become detrimental if you don't think um, long and hard about how you put these component parts together. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any success stories where you've had people that have only run, you know, much less than a typical marathoner? but have still achieved great results? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a few success stories. The, the number of people who choose or elect or or decide this is an experiment that they want to do are still fairly few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working with um, Dave Zabriskie, who's a Tour de France cyclist and uh, uh, started his season off great uh, racing, training and racing low carb and doing a lot of work in the gym and uh, was ready to come on strong until he crashed before the time trial in the Tour of California last week, mm. which was very unfortunate. But, but 
among um, uh, citizen athletes or age groupers, um, a lot of people have have taken on a uh, a combination low carb ketogenic diet and training strategy with this mix up of uh, of interval training, uh, very very uh, specific but selected uh, long distance stuff, and then time spent in the gym. Do Do you think that there's any there there's like an ancestral connection to this sort of targeted type of training where hunter gatherers might have gone out chased an antelope and then gorged on that antelope for a couple days and then you know just totally, rested I mean totally and- that's this is obviously this is what informs most of my my thought process and it creates a lens through which I, I view all of uh, of our current activities that is the lens of evolution and and hunter gatherers they didn't they they didn't you know run 10 miles every day training for the one day that they might go out and hunt the beast mm-hmm. um, they were fit based on the work that they did uh, just living um, which includes by the way not sitting around a lot but standing up a fair amount uh, squatting walking jumping leaping carrying migrating foraging all these activities that we talk about with hunter gatherers all of those physical activities left them fairly fit and it was a combination of different activities there was some very fast sprinting for your life you know away from something that was going to kill you there was some heavy lifting uh, of rocks of trees of carcasses carried back carried back to camp and these are the component parts of which I speak so when you put all those component parts together, then you get a group of five or six hunter-gatherers, which includes a tracker, uh, uh, you know, one guy who's a, a pretty good sprinter, another guy or two who's a pretty good uh, with a spear, and you've got a team going out to track a beast. But did they did they run seven-minute miles or six-minute miles or 448s? No. They, <laughs> they were running nine and 10-minute miles, what we would call, a, you know, a, a persistence hunting pace, which any reasonably trained age group athlete today could maintain for the same amount of distance. Mm -hmm. You know, they were smart about their hunting. They cut the tangent. They tracked. They allowed the beast to to, um, overexert itself while they rested. So this was not some uh, sustained effort over four hours. And, you know, there's a couple of uh, great videos on YouTube um, of the Kalahari Bushman or the Kung Bushman, you know, chasing down a kudzu. Mm -hmm. Um, This is exactly how we ought to be approaching a 5K, which is um, I am fit enough to race a 5K based on the work I do in the gym, the occasional work I do at the track, the games that I play. If I play a, two hours of ultimate uh, frisbee uh, every Sunday, where I'm doing nothing but but sprinting fast and then resting and 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 sprinting fast and changing direction and mixing it up, all of these contribute to uh, what would a, what would be a, a fairly good presentation at the starting line of any 5K in any age group. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about the dietary approach that you take to this and how that mixes in with the training. What What's the pro- a lot of people ask me when I tell them that I try to eat more of a primal diet. They say, "Well, what's the problem with grains? I mean, it's a whole grain. Who could have something against that?" Well, I mean, you and I are the worst people to ask about that because <laughs> I'm, you know, I my life suffered tremendously for 45 years until I discovered what the problem was, and it was grains. Right. And um, it was having a, a a very deleterious impact on my gastrointestinal system. Um, I gather from what you've said, uh, you had a similar experience. Yeah. Um. So I know what's wrong with grains, and it's and by the way, you don't have to have celiac to to be that person who is affected by grains. I think there's a whole continuum, a whole spectrum of people who are affected by grains. And on the one at the at the, at the far end, those who are you know in, in life threatening situations are those who have celiac. But at the other end are people who may just have increased amounts of um, of arthritis, like I had, or have um, stomach aches or irritable bowel syndrome every once in a while, like I had, or gas or you know heartburn at night. 
all of those things went away when I gave up grains. Mm -hmm. So my, my recommendation to a lot of people would be, you know, give up grains for 30 days and see how you feel. See what the difference is. What do you got to lose? Right, right. You know, something that I like about the primal diet is that it allows dairy. Can you go into a little bit about the, why you specifically said that that might be okay on the primal diet? And Sure. Well, you know, uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, um, everybody is born with a lactase enzyme. It's just that we tend to lose it uh, upon weaning. Uh, typically, with most people, that's the age of three or four, uh, even though most of us have long since stopped breastfeeding. So we all start with this ability to digest milk. We just, many of us have lost it. Uh, there's the notion that uh, when we were hunter-gatherers and we killed the animal, uh, we, we ate all of the parts of the animal. So there's no reason to suggest that we, we ate the liver, the lungs, the heart, uh, the kidneys, the mesentery, but we threw away the mammary glands. I mean, that was, you know, so there has always been some amount of consumption of some limited amounts of dairy throughout human history. So the, the fact that, um, that herding only came on the scene 10,000 years ago and, and and was the reason that many of us um, are able to digest lactose and, and not have a problem with it, um, but some of us are not. You know, that's sort of the paleo argument that uh, it's only in the last 10,000 years that we've even had access to dairy. Mm -hmm. um, the Primal Blueprint was always about uh, looking at the the science and looking at the, uh, the effects that certain foods and activities had on gene expression. So it's not, it was never intended to be exclusionary. In fact, I wanted the Primal Blueprint to be as inclusionary as possible. That's why we include chocolate or we, we include small amounts of red wine uh, because there's a decent amount of literature that suggests that, that some of those foods are actually probably, um, if not beneficial, certainly not harmful to health in the short term. And I would like people to, to um, you know, consume as many great tasting foods and have as many gustatory experiences as they as they could imagine having on this program. I don't want them to think, oh my goodness, I'm primal, so I can't eat anything. I can't go to a restaurant now. I can't go out with friends. I can't, you know, so so with the with the dairy, we have, once again, we have a, a continuum, a spectrum. And there are certain parts of types of dairy that I think most people could handle very well, like like organic pastured butter. Um, very few people uh, exist who can't consume some kind some form of butter and benefit from it and enjoy it and and uh, you know or or not benefit from it and not enjoy it. Most people have great experiences with butter. Uh, heavy cream, to a certain extent, heavy, you know, raw cream. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, at the far end, what I would not suggest people do is go to the store and buy two percent or skim or homogenized pasteurized milk. I'm as I'm as down on that as any staunch uh, paleo person might be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of artisanal cheeses, but again, only you know in moderation. Some of the stuff in moderation is just fine in my mm -hmm. book. Okay. Well, Mark, do you have any tips for people who are interested in this and uh, might want to try going towards this more primal diet? How do you get started? Well, uh, the, the first way to get started is to cut out the sugars and the soft drinks and then cut out the grains if you really want to try this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and you know, you, that, that, that means that if you're an endurance athlete and you want to start doing this, you're going to start relying more on, say, fruit, um, on tubers like potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, some of the safe starches, even white rice is, is, is okay in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, but by cutting out the, the grains and the uh, sugars, you've, you've already reduced your carbohydrate load to that which would be even 
for somebody who who might not be uh, a low, what Colin Stoll's a low carb athlete or a ketogenic athlete, it still might be low enough carb that you that you're in that range that you're getting the appropriate amount of carbs to replenish glycogen on a daily basis. But you've now avoided the the ones that are harmful, the sugars that will raise insulin so so quickly, the grains that may have some anti nutrient uh, negative effects for you. So just just those simple uh, starting points, and then I would certainly get rid of the um, the industrial seed oils that we talk about, the corn oil, soybean oil, uh, safflower oil, sunflower oil, um, things like that, that are um, high in omega-6 that are pro-inflammatory. Okay. So I get, get rid of those as well. And then, of course, you know, there's a go to Mark's Daily Apple and uh, go to uh, Primal Blueprint 101, and you can get all that information kind of distilled in a very easy easy to read, easy to <clears throat> digest um, kind of format. How about the sports drinks and the gels? Not a big fan of those. Mm-hmm. Not a big fan of those. There is, it's interesting, there's a new a new kind of sport gel on the market called Super Starch by UCAN that's um, got some promise in that it's very, very uh, slow in terms of its getting into the system. So it doesn't have the, the huge uh, immediate impact on, um, on, on the adrenals or on the, uh, on the release of insulin that some of the uh, other nasty stuff out there does. So that's the one, that's the one exception I, me- I might make. But otherwise, I'd probably stay away from the gels. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for being part of the show. Where should people go to, well, you mentioned Mark's Daily Apple, but do you have any other resources that you would like to talk about before? Sure. Before I mean, you know, The Primal Blueprint is my original book. It's uh, it's the best selling of all my books, and it's one of the top books in the whole paleo primal world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Get that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, Mark's Daily Apple is my website where we have a, a, you know, a new, interesting, I hope, informative and sometimes entertaining piece on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, primalblueprint.com is my product site, and I do have some uh, uh, some products that would be a benefit to most athletes, whether it's uh, omega-3 fats or um, probiotics to help with gut issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, it was it was really interesting talking with you today, and I'm sure our listeners will gain a lot from it. Thanks so I much, so. Mark. Thank you, Aaron. Take care. Yep, bye. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Thanks for listening.